Welcome this morning again. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online, and I'm so glad you're here. We've had an incredible time of worship today, haven't we? We are so blessed. And um, I want to just say that if you are a guest this morning, if this is your first or second or third time being here, and you're looking for a home church and you just haven't figured out where that church is, um, I would just encourage you to visit our guest services. We'll be able to answer all of your questions, and I really want to encourage you to pray about making Central Community your church home, because we're a church that's on the move, and we're going places. Amen? Amen. So we're in a series right now entitled Refresh, and we are looking at the churches that the Lord Jesus wrote his letter to. There were seven of them, remember? And John, his apostle, his disciple, who was on the island of Patmos, and the angel comes and gives John a vision, and he's writing these letters to these different churches. But remember, we've talked about how these letters that Jesus has written to these individual churches could be written to any church, but also it could be written to any individual. And I don't know about you, but these letters are really impacting my life. And there are different phrases from each letter that just seems to pop out in my life. And it's like God is saying to me, I'm speaking to you, Bob, and you are my mouthpiece, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. And one of the things that I heard him say over and over again, and I've seen him witness, it was witness in my, in my, in my own life this last week is this, Bob, I am a God who sees. I'm just not out there. I am a person, I am your savior, and one day you and I are gonna meet face to face, but right now there is work to do. And part of the reason I want you to understand, church, that why we're going through this refresh series is that we are preparing for more work that God has for us to do. Aren't you excited about that? Amen. I hope you are. You know what that means? That means God's not done with us. And you know what? That the work that he has for us to do, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to step out in faith. And we may have to do some things that we don't feel very comfortable in doing. But you know what I say to that? Good. Because I know that when the Lord asks me to step out in faith, he's always got something special. And I'm going to go from, grow from it, and there's others who are going to come to know him as Jesus and Lord. And that's what we're about now, I want to ask you a question just before we get into our letter today, and that is this. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why in the world did Jesus write to Ephesus first? I mean, there are seven churches. Why didn't he pick Thyatira? Why didn't he pick Sardis? Why did he choose to write to the church at Ephesus first? And for that matter, why did he deal with the issue that he dealt with first at Ephesus rather than what they were going through in Pergamum? Well, do you remember why Jesus did, wrote his letter? He wrote his letter to the church at Ephesus, and you remember what he said? He started out by giving them this great accommodation. I see all the things you're doing. You're working hard. I know you are doing great things for the kingdom. But then he said that word, but. I have an issue with you. And remember what he said? But he basically said this, you've lost that love and feeling. <laughs> right? That's what he said, you've lost that love and feeling. In other words, he's saying to the church, and I hear him saying it to me too, Bob, you've forgotten what it is that matters most. It's not the work you do, it's me. 
It's the relationship that you and I have. That's what matters most. Amen, church? And you know what? I've learned in life that when this relationship is good between me and the Lord, all of these relationships kind of fall in line, don't they? But I've also learned this. I have to work at this relationship. It doesn't come natural. And so I have an appointment with the Lord God every morning. You know, one of the things that I, I do is I go on, um, on, my, on my phone and, and I have my, my, my first devotion is there. And I think, what is it? It's the one where you watch the video. Remember what it is? Yeah, what is it? It's on the Bible app, okay? You know what I loved about it? It keeps track of how many times you've done it in a row. Now, I'm a competitor. I was up to 400 and some days in a row. Aren't you proud? (laughs) Today I'm at eight. (laughs) I missed a day. And I'm still trying to figure out when that day was, but apparently I I did, I missed the day. But what I've learned is I've got to work at that relationship. I've got a desire to be at the feet of my Savior to where I can learn. And so I've learned something in these first few weeks that I believe are critical, not just to me, but to our church, and that's this. And here's what I want you to remember about this, okay? Lost love leads to compromise. I want to say that again. Lost love leads to compromise. And compromise follows a stale relationship. How's your relationship with the Lord? Is it vibrant? Is it growing? Or has it gotten a little cold, a little stale? I've learned also that when I love the Lord less, I love the world more. And I hate to say that, but it's true. When I love the Lord less, I love the Lord, I love the world more. Can you relate? Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, we're coming to the end of this. And this is the letter that Jesus writes to the church at Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality but she is unwilling. 
So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will pay each of you according to your deeds." Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's Word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, may we never be a church but we have to worry that you have something against us. May we stay pure in your eyes because we know you are the God who sees and knows the intentions of our heart. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here we are. We're in week four now. We've been to Ephesus, great city. We've been to Smyrna and to Pergamos, and now we are at a place called Thyatira. I want to remind you once again that we are following the postal route. Jesus gave these letters to John, and as people came to visit John, John gave them these letters, and then they were given to the churches. My prayer is that each letter that we read, I pray that we would hear that as a letter, not to the church at Ephesus or the church at Thyatira, but the church at Central Community. Some of the letters are super good. Others, well, and today we're going to look at a letter that is kind of tough to hear. I don't know about you, but I've read this letter several times, and as I've listened to these words these words penetrate. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Thyatira because the history of Thyatira is critical to understanding why Jesus wrote the letter that he did. Thyatira gets the longest letter of anybody, but it is written to the church that is in the smallest community. I want to remind you from the very beginning, I said that all of these churches were growing churches. They weren't just surviving, but they were thriving, okay? Now, Thyatira uh, was, wasn't a, a seaport. It was a, what we would call a military garrison. So it wasn't on the sea, and it didn't have any real significance. There wasn't anything special about it that we needed to know religiously or politically. But the one thing that we do know is that Thyatira was the home of the god Apollo. He was the sun god. You know what he wanted to be called? The son of God. I hope you're starting to hear a few things already, okay? Now, the thing about Thyatira that you need to know is that 
Thyatira was what we would call a gateway city. And what I mean by that is that Thyatira was the obstacle in place specifically that kept enemies from getting to Pergamum, which was the capital city of Asia Minor. You know what the job of Thyatira was? It was when enemies came to attack the capital city, Thyatira had to step forward and had to fight off these enemies as long as they could so that Pergamum could get ready for the attack. So Thyatira had this this history of being destroyed, but then being reconstructed again. Okay, everybody with me so far? Thyatira was known for its textiles. What I mean by that is they had coppersmiths and they had silversmiths and they had people who had made pottery and they had people who, who made linens and all of those kinds of things. But there was something very unique about Thyatira that brought attention to it. And here's what it was. Thyatira had a very special water system that was rich in minerals. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, so. But here's what happened. Because of the minerals that were in the water, in the linens that they made, and in the colors that they made, the colors of purple and red became more brilliant and bold than any other linens in all of the world. Now, you may remember that in Acts chapter 16, there's a lady by the name of Lydia. Remember her? She was a seller of these purple linens from Thyatira, the Bible says. So I just want to, so you can kind of connect the pieces, all right? But people came all around for these specific textiles, okay? Now, I want you to be reminded once again of what the Lord said in the beginning of his letter. Here's what he says. He says, I know your works, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first, okay? Now, if I didn't know any better, I would think this is a really good letter, right? Have you noticed that in each one of the letters that the Lord Jesus writes, he always begins with a commendation, right? And that's what he does here this morning. But then things change a little bit. And here's why. I want you to understand this. I told you that Thyatira was a city of textiles. Well, what you need to know is that each of these textiles were divided into groups or fraternities. They called them guilds. Now, here's what I mean by that. You had a silversmith fraternity. You had a bronze smith fraternity. You had a linen fraternity. You see, all of these different groups of textiles were divided into fraternities, okay? Now, these fraternities were the heart and soul of the religious and social well-being of the people. You understand that? This was their group. This was their homies. You understand? These were the people that they spent doing life with. Now, these different textile groups, these different fraternities, would often have festivals. Thyatira is what we would call a closed fraternity or a closed guild society. In other words, what that means is this. Once you're in the fraternity, you're in for good. But if you ever leave that fraternity, 
you're out for good, okay? So these different fraternities would have these huge festivities. And guess where they were held? In the temple of Apollo. You know why? Because Apollo was known as the guardian of the fraternities, just like he was the guardian of Thyatira, okay? What would happen in these festivals is that somewhere towards the end, the people would indulge in either idolatry or some type of sexual immorality. Now, remember what I talked about. These fraternities were the lifeblood of the people. So what is a person to do? If you didn't go to the festival, if you didn't go to the festivities, you were booted out of the fraternity, which means you lost your job. You had no way to support your family anymore. You were out. And so the people at Thyatira, the people in the church, the Christians, were being challenged because they were invited to these festivities, this lifeline of theirs, because this is how they made their money. And as they were involved and they found out about all of the things that were going on, they had a decision they had to make. What was the decision? Do I compromise my faith? Do I deny knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Or do I stand firm? And so the question that was asked to them, the question that is asked to all of us is this. So how much is Jesus worth to you? Oh, did I say that out loud? So how much is Jesus worth to you, people? Their fraternities was like your jobs. Like your companies. Maybe like your families. Have you ever been to a place and you've been asked to compromise who you are? Have you ever been in a place and maybe your boss came to you and said, hey, don't, don't worry about that. I'll cover that. Just don't say anything about that. And you know it's wrong. Or maybe you've been asked to do something. Or maybe you've done something where you've had to compromise your belief in Jesus Christ just so you could keep your job. Do you remember what we talked about just at communion in John chapter 6? Jesus is reminding the people, I will take care of your physical needs. You don't have to worry about your physical needs. What is important is who you are in Christ, your spiritual need. That's what you need most. And so Jesus asks these people, and he asks us, so how much is Jesus worth to you? You know, I don't know about you, but I, I, I can remember thinking, you know, I'm never going to have to go through that kind of stuff in my life. That'll never happen. And now it's happening all the time. So what is Jesus worth to you? Is having that nice car, that nice house, or maybe two or three houses or whatever, is whatever you have worth denying Jesus. That's the issue that's going on in Thyatira. Now as we get to the letter, let's look at how Jesus answers this. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, 
These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Now, those people would have focused on three different phrases that you heard in that first letter. The first one was Son of God. The other one was eyes like blazing fire. And the third one was feet like burnished bronze. Does that remind you of anything, church? It should. Go back to the book in Daniel. All three of these phrases are taken from the book of Daniel. And what I want you to remember is the first phrase, that phrase, son of God, is the key. Do you remember what happened in the book of Daniel with three men by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you remember that story? Do you remember what happened? The king told them that when they heard this sound, they were supposed to worship, and they refused to worship. They would not bow down to the persecution. Well, let's see what happens there. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like, there it is, the Son of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, and when the king looked in to see how many were in there, he didn't see three, he saw four, and one of them looked like the Son of God. What was the message that Jesus was saying to the church at Thyatira? Here's what it is. I see your persecution. And that same Christ, that same Christ that was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be with you in your persecution. Hallelujah! That's what Jesus promises to you and me. I see what you're going through at work. I see how you're being threatened and how you're being asked to compromise. But here's what I want you to hear from me. Just like I was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just as I was with all of the countless people in the Bible, that same Christ, that same Jesus will be with you. That's comfort. Now, the other two phrases, if you remember the stories of Daniel, when we talk about the feet burnished bronze, and we talk about the eyes of the, or the, eyes of the blazing, burning fire, okay, those are terms that refer to his judgment. So in other words, like a good parent, Jesus says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to correct your behavior. When my kids chose to do things that were not right or not in line with what their father told them, that wasn't my responsibility. That was their behavior. All I would do was hold them accountable for their behavior. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you can know me as Savior or you can know me as judge, but make no mistake about it. When I come back, I'm coming back as judge. And I will hold accountable those who have turned their backs on me for their behavior. So let's go on. Jesus continues in this letter, and now he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. 
By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think the main message that Jesus wants us to hear in this letter, and that is this. The problem is coming from in the church. Everybody hear that? Let's say together the word in. Where's the problem coming from? In the church. You see, there's a woman by the name of Jezebel. No, we don't know that's her name. But that name describes her character. Okay? And what did she do? She had brought false teaching. She had brought idolatry. And she had brought sexual immorality into the church. Another way that you could say it is this. She was making the church look more like the world. You see, she wanted the people to go back to their old way of living. And when they did that, guess what happened? The church began to look like the rest of the world. Do you understand that as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we are not to look like the world? So why are we trying to look like the rest of the world? We want to blend in. We want a peaceful, comfort life. But you know what Jesus tells me? Guess what? They hated me. Guess what's going to happen to you, right? They're going to hate you too. Now let's go back to the story of Jezebel because there's something here that we need to understand. This goes all the way back to the story of Ahab. Now I'm going to pick up this verse here. It says, Ahab, the son of Omri, remember Ahab was the king of Israel, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve and Baal and worship him. See, she brought that Baal worship in. That's where all that idolatry and that sexual immorality came in. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all of the kings of Israel before him. Here's what I want you to understand. This was the final straw that threw Israel into captivity. And what the Lord is saying loud and clear to the church at Thyatira, oh, I've got lots of patience, but guess what? It's coming to an end. This was the final straw that threw Israel into captivity. And God is saying, just like I allowed it to go so far, and then I said, it's enough. It's long enough. Now, let me just ask you one question real quickly. So why does God wait? Why is he waiting? And he gave us the answer, didn't he? He's waiting for her to repent. He's giving her an opportunity to turn from her sin and repent so that she could be included in the family of God. And do you understand that's what God is doing in this world right now? He is waiting patiently for those who don't know him to repent of their sin and come to him. And do you understand how God is doing that? through the church. It's through the church. 
That's why we have to look different than the rest of the world so that we can look appealing. You know what I believe with all of my heart? I believe that the world right now and even your coworkers, those who are trying to tempt you to compromise, I believe with all my heart in the bottom of their hearts, they're hoping that you won't cave on your faith. You know why? Because even though they make fun of you on the outside, on the inside, they're looking at you and they're saying, you have something they don't have. And that's what we want them to say. Let's go on. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all of the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, all this is simply here is this. These are the words of Jesus as judge. These are the words I don't want to hear. And you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your judgment has already taken place, right? It took place at the cross. You have no judgment to face because your judgment has already taken place. What is your judgment? Jesus has paid for your sins. You get to enter into eternal life, which has been prepared for you since the beginning of time. But for those who do not know who Jesus is, believe me, judgment is coming. And that's the words that I don't want to hear. I want to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now watch this. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Here's what I want you to understand. True faith. True faith is seen in our righteous deeds. You understand that? How do you know that someone is a believer? You check the fruit on their tree, right? You see, God says to us, if you want to rule with me in the future, which we all do, then you need to be faithful to me in the present. And that's what he's saying to this church. I know your deeds. I know the good stuff that you're doing, but there's something in the church that I have a real problem with. And that's why the church is called to discipline. That's how we love one another. And when we see or know of anything in the church that is of the world and how it got in, you know what we need to do? We are called by God to discipline them. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, what could we do to bring something in the world that would cause division and push people away? I'm just going to say one word, politics. Am I right? Do you think that Jesus wants us, hey, let's come this morning, let's get in a fight over politics? No. You know what he says? He says, you come in here and you remember, you have one thing in common, that's your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not Democrat, you're not Republican. All you are is one in Christ. You are my children. So anything, anything that we bring in that causes division and pushes people away from Jesus, this is what he's talking about in this letter to Thyatira. My dear friends in Christ, 
Would you agree with me by clapping in my, in my saying this? May this never be said of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a letter. As I read this letter, Father, I'm reminded, Father, of our church and our responsibility and my responsibility that this church does not look like the world, but we look like that place of hope, that hospital where Jesus reigns and people can come to be healed. Father, I pray that your spirit would speak in and to us and through us to a world out there that we're not like the rest of the world. We are like Jesus, and Jesus opens his arms to all people. Hallelujah. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you sit tight just for a second? I'm going to ask Pastor George to join me on the platform here. Would you welcome him? Come up here, my friend. Go ahead. Pastor George wants to share. Uh, there are seasons in all of our lives, and uh, it has been a great season to be here at Central. Uh, came back in 2013 in uh, August, that first Sunday in August. And it has been a great almost 10 years of sharing in the worship ministry here at Central. And it's been, as we have talked in the last few weeks, it just became apparent to me that, you know, it's time to, uh, to step off of the platform, so to speak, uh, in, in, in worship leadership in the way that I have been doing it. Pat and I are going to stay at Central. Uh, this is our church home. We want to be here. Uh, Pastor Bob says he has some things he wants me to do, maybe vacuuming and dusting and all of that kind of stuff, but I don't know. But anyway, um, I will be doing something, and uh, that's the call of God on my life. And, uh, but at the end of uh, February, uh, that last Sunday, uh, will be my last Sunday to actually lead worship from this platform. Uh, hopefully, Pastor Phil will let me do something once in a while. Uh, he's going to be taking over uh, the worship leadership here at Central, and uh, he's a, a man after God's heart, and uh, God has given him good gifts, and uh, I know that this will be something that will be edifying to the church at large here at Central. So that's the plan, and then the Sunday after March 5th, Pastor Bob and I We'll be sharing that morning together uh, in, in the worship time. But um, I think it's the Lord, seemed, through the Holy Spirit, has seemed to say, George, it's time. And uh, I'm not in the early years of my life, and uh, there are some things that uh, probably uh, he's calling me to uh, for now. All right. So, I think good.
so. I'm going to say one thing right off the bat. I'm not getting rid of the choir and the orchestra, okay? I want to make sure you understand that. Okay? But I just want to say to you, um, we're so thankful for Pastor George. He's going to continue to work here at the church. And, um, but for 57 years, 57 years, he has led people in worship. And so we're going to plan some special events later on in the year um, because this is not just about us. Pastor George is so well known throughout the Church of God and also at the Crossings Church. And so we're going to do some things together later on. Um, and so we're going to have a time to thank him. Um, and what he wants to do is just have a worship service. And in the process, then, we'll be able to thank him for everything that he's done. Um, I think the best thing for us to do right now is we just need to do two things. Number one, thank the Lord for the incredible, incredible ministry of Pastor George and Pat Scramstead. No man like that can do what he's done without an incredible God-given woman to be his wife. And you need to make sure that you need to make sure that you honor her too. So Pastor George is going to be out in the in the Grand Foyer there, and you can um, go and talk with him and visit him and encourage him. Um, but we're going to continue to move on with the church. Um, God has been here waiting for us, and he's going to be with us in our future. And so um, we're excited for what God has for us, but we're also going to take the time to pay attention and to worship him for the incredible faithful work of Pastor George Scramstead. Would you please receive the benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his strength, and his joy. Go into the world, my dear Christian, and be like Jesus. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.